We are continuing our series in wisdom, and we're looking at uh, restoring relationships uh, this morning. Talked two weeks ago, my last sermon was on friendship. Uh, you, you may remember, uh, you may not, I referenced the fact that Taylor Swift's latest album uh, didn't have any songs about friendship. Had a lot of songs about romantic love, none about uh, friendship. She does have a song about friendship from a few albums ago, uh, and it is uh, called Bad Blood. And uh, it's about friendship gone poorly. Uh, this is what she said. I didn't, I didn't memorize it, so I'm going to read some of it. Because, um, baby, now we got bad blood. You know, it used to be mad love. So take a look at what you've done, because, baby, now we've got bad blood. Now we've got problems, and I don't think we can solve them. You made a really deep cut, and, baby, now we got bad blood. So it is um, interesting that uh, one of the songs about friendship, right, uh, and, and there are all the rumors, everybody knows, uh, or they think they know who it's about, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. And I don't know exactly what happened or any of that, but it's about a, a friendship that went badly. And, and I think one of the reasons that uh, it, it actually resonates with a lot of people is because that's a problem that we have. And, and maybe we've experienced a, a friendship that has gone poorly. And so this morning, as we look at Proverbs and as we look at uh, wisdom, the art, being skilled in the art of godly living or the art of godly relationships, we're going to look at restoring relationships. Because as we think about friendship, which we looked at two weeks ago, one of the reasons that it's difficult, we looked at a few different ones, is, is that we have conflict. We have broken relationship, we have problems, and we need to be able to, in wisdom, move forward in the midst of broken relationship. And so as we look here at these different Proverbs uh, that were read and is, are printed in the worship guide, uh, we're going to be talking about that. Now, I, there are a couple of things that I, I want to note. One is that I have given that definition before, that wisdom is being skilled in the art of godly living or godly relationships. That, that is that wisdom is an art. It is not simply a do this, this happens. It's not a, a list of all the things that we do and all the moments. Wisdom is actually required for most of life because we, we have some direction from scripture on a lot of things. It's really clear, like, should I murder this person or not? No, the answer is no, right? Should I lie or not lie? No. Should I get drunk? No. Like there's a lot of things, right? Alcohol is actually not a bad example. Should I get drunk? No. Should I drink alcohol? Actually, wisdom would say, well, it depends on who you are and how old you are and who you're with and what, you know, all kinds of things, your history, all these kinds of things that would uh, require wisdom to know in a particular moment if that is a, a wise thing to do, right? But that is so much of life. We don't have a here's what you do. The Bible just doesn't give us a directive for every moment of our life, the decisions that we make. We, we need wisdom. And so in the midst of relationships, what we have here is general guidance that we're talking about this morning about friendships in particular. Because we know that there are multiple kinds of relationships, one. And even here we have mentioned in the different passages enemies. We have friends, close friends. We have neighbors. So there are multiple kinds of relationships that are referenced even in these few verses, not to mention all the rest in Proverbs and all of Scripture. And, uh, and we're going to be thinking primarily about relationships that we have with people that would fall into the category of friends, family, 
uh, and recognize that there are going to be different applications at different times. I also want to give the note, as we think about reconciliation or restoring of friendships or relationships, and this idea of forgiveness and being made right in relationship with other people, that there are those of us in this room that have experienced abuse of all kinds, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, all of us, uh, many have experienced something that falls into a category that we're, we're not addressing this morning. We, we just can't cover everything in one sermon, right? And so I, I want to recognize that wisdom is saying there are times where we're actually not pursuing to make the relationship right. That's not the, the wise course of action. And so I want to note that and note that that's not what we're talking about this morning. I'm talking about what we actually experience more often is just regular, ordinary relationship with friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and how we deal with the conflicts that are often small but can grow into larger conflict. So wisdom is required to even know in the moment how these things apply. I think it is important that we're doing this together. You're, you're listening to me, not because I have all the wisdom, because I have all the answers, but because we're a part of a community that engages around the word and around wisdom together. We need each other to know in a particular situation how these things apply. So we're going to be talking about some principles, but the reality is in all the different situations, we really need one another to apply these things, to know in which circumstances uh, the different principles apply. So that being said, I do want to get into this idea of relationships, again, primarily friendship, closer relationships, and how we deal with conflicts that inevitably arise. So we're going to look at three things, relationships broken, relationships restored, and relationships perfected. So broken, restored, perfected. Uh, let, let me pray briefly. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that you give us in the midst of broken situations. And we pray that you would fill us with that hope, that we might move forward, and that we might be restored in different relationships, that we might relate in healthy ways with wisdom with one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first point was that relationships uh, often end up broken, and, and likely you've experienced broken relationships. And I think it's important for us to note that these things happen. Because the Bible is really clear that they happen. It's all over these verses. Hatred exists, chapter 10. Offenses happen, chapter 17. Enemies are there, chapter 24 and 25. We've been wronged, chapter 24. Rebuke is necessary, chapter 27. Broken relationships happen all the time. We don't need just experience for us to know that. Uh, though experience does tell us that. I think it's helpful that the word of God says, yes, these things happen. We know this happens. I also think it's helpful for us to note that the book of Proverbs given as instruction to the people of God is this picture of what often happens among the people of God. So oftentimes we experience friends who turn into enemies in these categories. And then we have to deal with that reality and what that looks like, Right. I think it's helpful for us to note that there are a lot of times we'd like to think that the, you know, we're following Jesus and we're in the church and so uh, things should be going well. We think uh, that certainly that should be the case. Let's, let's actually affirm that should be the case, but it's not because of our selfishness and our brokenness uh, in our own hearts and in, in lives with one another. That this actually happens in the church all the time. Conflict. 
Broken relationships. And, and we need to be honest about that, not try to hide those things. We're going to be talking about what these terms cover mean in a moment. It does not mean cover up. So we don't cover up sin. We actually recognize that brokenness in relationships happen. And if we're honest and open about that, then we can address when conflict does happen. When there is relationships that are broken. We can say these things happen, and they happen more regularly than we wish they did. This is our experience, unfortunately, both in and outside the church. Let's, let's step into that reality and then deal with it. But the, the question comes, why do these things happen? Right? Why is there this experience of broken relationships? I mean, we could simply go back to the fall in Genesis 3, where selfishness enters into the story, brokenness in the sense that we rebel against God, that that relationship, that perfect relationship that we had, and then it affects all of our relationships. So then very quickly, actually, we find uh, murder, Cain and Abel. This conflict arises very quickly out of the fall because we are selfish, we compare, we are envious. Uh, I I think many of us resonated with some of the things that uh, Josh was talking about earlier. These are things that we struggle with. We think that we're often superior to others. So in conflict, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but one of our go-to thoughts is that we're in the right and other people are in the wrong. And that actually is true sometimes, but most often it's, it's a mix. But one of the things that we find in these Proverbs is that our selfishness, it plays out with what we would essentially call ill will. That we regularly have ill will, hatred is, is mentioned here, We see anger toward other people uh, referenced in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, that we have this tendency to, when we have conflict or disagreement with others, that we wish ill will upon them. And that this is uh, the problem that we often need to think about and address. There is this challenge to not, in chapter 24, verse 17, to not rejoice when your enemy falls, to not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. And there's a recognition in all of these, right? That this is a temptation that we have. This is a tendency that we have to wish ill will upon others. And oftentimes, it, it is true that the ill will comes, that we want things to go badly, because there is a sense in which we want justice. That's a, a good and right desire that we have, to want justice. But the problem comes in that we... We put ourselves in the position of the judge, judging what is just and what is not. And so that we think that we know when and how justice should happen and that it should happen to others. And we wish that upon them. And this, there, there's a very popular genre of book and, and movies, the, the revenge story, right? The revenge movie. And we get this satisfaction in watching revenge happen. And watching what we feel like in our minds is justice happening. Justice as we define it, as we judge it, or as the main character defines and judges it. There could, be a, there could be a sense of satisfaction born out of our right desire for justice. One of my favorite books, just talked about this recently, is The Count of Monte Cristo. And, uh, and there's a story, there's a, there's a part of that which is, uh, is revenge. And there, there is, I think one of the things that the book does well is it addresses the fact that it's, it's, it's messy. That Edmund Dantes turned Monte Cristo, the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, as he uh, exacts revenge, there are moments where you think, oh, that's too much. 
Or you think, oh, that, that's not enough. Why did he have grace here? You know, all these different things. You, you sense some of the tension that actually happens when we, when we think about enacting justice ourselves or revenge ourselves when we wish ill upon others. The Proverbs are not the only place that we get warning against this kind of thinking. Again, I, I referenced Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 21 and following. Jesus is talking about there's this clear moral command to not murder. That, that's clear. You know that. But he takes it a step further. He says, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It goes on to talk about uh, that bit of conflict resolution. There's conflict resolution more in, in Matthew 18. But what he's, what he's doing here, what Jesus is saying is there's something deeper going on. This ill will that we, that we are tempted to hold for one another, that it is a real problem, that our, that our hearts can be a part of the problem. And then it affects our relationship with the Lord. With him and the sacrifices that we bring, there's something deeper going on. It's a, it's a warning to us. We're, we're tempted to wish ill will on others to the point that actually the Proverbs, the writers of the Proverbs say in chapter 24, recognizes that we're tempted to lie, to deceive with our lips those who have done us wrong. And, of course, if we have ill will toward others, then we might, in particular if we think, well, they're definitely in the wrong and I'm in the right, then we might justify different things that we would do to see Ill, Ill things come upon them, to see our ill will actually fleshed out in their lives. And one of the things that we do there, right, is I mean, look here in, in, uh, in chapter 24, verses 28 and 29. He says, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. So there's a wrong that has been done to us, right? Or to, to the one listening. And the temptation is then to do wrong to them in response. And often one of the ways that we justify that, right? Like let's say it's just lying. Somebody's lied about me. That person is a liar. Now I... I told, somebody calls me in a lie, well, I just misremembered the truth. Or I'm, I'm comp it's more complicated than that, right? They're the liar, I'm the complicated person. This is what we do in our mind with our, with our heart that is selfish, that wishes ill will upon others. And sometimes it, it doesn't require, a, uh, there is this recognition that, that we will be wronged. I mean, there's this note, that something has been done to me and there's a desire to pay it back. We don't, we don't find that there's a requirement of lying. Even the idea of slander here is, is beyond, it's a bigger definition than we have. We, we define slander as telling something untrue about somebody. But what we find here in Proverbs 11, verse 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. <coughs> Excuse me. We have this picture that slander is actually just talking badly about someone else. In this case, it's revealing secrets. 
Not, not lies. It's revealing something that is actually true. It's talking bad about somebody, even though it's true. And this is a pretty high standard that we're called to, to not slander, to not speak poorly against someone else in order to hurt them, their reputation or their position. We, we, we need to step into this reality, recognizing that broken relationships exist. And if we think about the reality of the ill will that we hold or are tempted to hold toward others, that often a significant part of the problem is my own heart, is my own thinking toward other people, even when I've been wronged. So we need to be open and honest about broken relationships, about conflict when it occurs. These are not things that we try to, to brush over and to push aside, to act like they're, that, they're not there. And in fact, we, we know that this can be a significant problem in the church, to ignore conflict, to ignore things that happen that are wrong. And we're actually called to something different, to to step into the reality, to recognize that it's true so that we can then deal with it. We don't get to restored relationship, which is the second point, without recognizing and owning the fact that relationships get broken. So the second point is relationships restored. And essentially what I'm going to do here is look at these verses, and and I've gotten these categories from others. Uh, I've seen... Multiple others use these categories for the steps that we can take to move toward restored relationship. And, and, and there's a recognition that in taking these steps, there is a, a, just an action that we take. We're not always able to control our feelings. You know, we often think about forgiveness, which falls into this reality. We think of forgiveness as a feeling. And, and sometimes we, we can have those feelings of forgiveness, but these steps are steps that we can take even when we don't have those feelings, even when we struggle with the way that we're feeling towards someone. There are four steps uh, that we can take to move toward restored relationships. The first is rejecting superiority. This is that thing that we're tempted to fall into when we think that we're the ones who have it right. And that we're better than other people. They're the liar and I'm the complicated person. Uh, In in this series on wisdom, I I did a couple of different sermons on both humility and pride. I did one on each. And uh, so, you know, all the answers there, you can go back and listen to those sermons. No, there there is this uh, reality that we just need to be reminded again and again that we are tempted toward pride. And that we don't uh, typically have a lot of humility. That it's a struggle Because we're continually trying to justify ourselves before God, before others. And the way that we often do that is we compare ourselves to others. And one of the ways that that can play out, Proverbs 11, verse 12, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. We put ourselves in a position of strength, we think, when we belittle our neighbor, those around us. We have this feeling of superiority. And the beauty of the gospel, this thing that we come together to celebrate and sing about and hear proclaimed every week, is that it is completely contrary. This idea of superiority is completely contrary to the gospel. You've heard me say, quoting from others, uh, that the gospel is that you are more sinful and depraved than you ever dared believe. That's not a very comfortable statement. But at the same time, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. And that we are loved and accepted not because of anything that we're able to do, but because of God's decision to love us and care for us through his son, Jesus Christ. 
It is not anything that we've earned. It is not anything that we deserve. It is not anything that we can do to bring it about. That's the gospel. And so this idea of superiority is completely contrary to the work of Jesus in our lives, to what we come together in church to celebrate, to remind one another of, to sit in and live out of. We have to reject superiority. And when we do that, it has profound impact on our individual relationships, on our friendships, on our family, on our neighbors, in all kinds of ways when we reject superiority. The second thing that we do is we remain silent. Now, I want to give a little bit of uh, clarification on that, but go back to Proverbs 11, verse 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. There are times... We're going to get to this to rebuke chapter 27, that we do call out brokenness and sin. There are absolutely moments where we do. So this is not just always be quiet and sit in silence as you are wrong. That's not what this is saying. But there is this constant theme of not speaking ill of others, of belittling others, of slandering, even if it's revealing secrets that are true. He who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Chapter 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats the matter separates close friends. There are many, many times, again, this is wisdom to know when we step into telling the truth, having conversations with others about it, people that we trust and respect, that will trust and care for others. There are absolutely moments that we do that, or even proclaim it before many. There are times when we do that, but we need wisdom to know that there are many, many times that we just need to be quiet. We need to not slander, not repeat. We, we, we want to, did you hear? Did you hear what this person did to me? And we love to tell people when we've been wronged. And we love to repeat it and tell it again. And, and, it, and it hurts our own hearts because it builds in us a, that sense of superiority. It makes it that much harder for us to reject superiority. It makes us that much more tempted to step into thinking that we're right and that everybody else is wrong. This idea of covering up is not a cover-up. So if we reject superiority and we remain silent, we're not just constantly harping on, repeating, gossiping, telling about other people's mess. We find ourselves in a place where we have to renounce reciprocity. And reciprocity is this word... You've got to use big words, right? Um, reciprocity is one of those that I remember just distinctly learning about in sociology. I was a sociology major. Unfortunately, I don't remember a lot. But I remember reciprocity. And reciprocity is this idea that, that we want to pay others back. And this is for what's been done to us. And this is both when good happens to us and when bad happens to us. So sometimes it's when something good It's the even Stevens when something good happens. You did something good for me that I've got to repay that or, or vice versa, right? It's the episode of The Office when Andy and Dwight are trying to outdo service to one another because they don't want to be in the debt to the other person, so they're just trying to one-up each other. Uh, it, it, it is this idea that, again, doesn't fit with the gospel, that whether it's something good that's happened to us or something bad that's happened to us, we need to pay it back. We need to uh, pay for it. And the, the gospel is we'll never pay for what, what we get. The, the love of God, it's not something that we can ever cover And this is also true. We're also supposed to live out the gospel in our relationships with one another. And so what that means is to cover an offense that we find in both chapter 17 and chapter 11, 
It's not a cover-up. It's, it's more the idea of you go out to eat with some folks. So, you know, go out to eat with Brock and Danielle, and uh, we're going to split the bill. And Brock says, ah, I forgot my wallet. I says, I, I says, I say, I says, I says, uh, no, I, I say, don't worry, I'll cover it. That means I'm going to cover the cost of the, or, or somebody comes over to my house. Brock comes to my house and he breaks my lamp. And I said, don't worry, I'll cover it. There can be a cost in renouncing reciprocity, particularly when somebody has sinned against us. I'm not calling out Brock for any sin, by the way. <laughs> there, there can be a cost to forgiving somebody, to saying, I'll cover it. And that's this picture that we have of covering over sin. It's, again, not a cover-up. There are absolutely times when we, again, we step into the reality, we admit that things are broken, when there is sin or brokenness, we, we have to address those things. But there should absolutely be times when we are willing to say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overlook that sin. I'm going to cover that sin. I, and it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me sometimes the ability to, for people to know that I'm right. I'm right. And I want people to know that I'm right. You know, the whole I told you so thing. We, we want people to know that we're right. And sometimes we need to give up that right. The right to be right. To be comfortable. To, to, have the, the, to feel good sometimes. That's not the point of relationship. The point of, of relationships is, is to point to the Messiah. Is to live out the gospel with one another. We talked about in Sunday school this morning. This theme that just runs throughout scripture. That that we have a suffering servant who died for us, and he invites us into that. He also invites us into joy and, and beauty and glory. But there are times where he invites us into sacrifice. And that means that we sacrifice in our relationships with one another. That's living out the gospel in our relationships. If, if we apply gospel truths that we are more sinful and depraved than we ever dared believe, and at the same time we're loved and accepted than we ever dared hope, it dramatically affects the way that we're able to receive brokenness and sacrifice in the midst of relationships and overlook and cover to pay the cost ourselves. And if we do these first three things, if we pursue restored relationships by rejecting superiority and not just repeating things again and again, remaining silent essentially, and renouncing reciprocity, giving up some of our rights in the midst of it. If we do those things, that, that actually puts us in a better position to do the last one, which is rebuke. Chapter 27, and we've actually looked at this already in some of our wisdom sermons. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuses are the kisses of an enemy. There are times, 100%, absolutely, when we call out brokenness and sin of others. I think we're able to do that better if we have done these other things first, but that's, this is one of those places where wisdom is required to know how to step into these things well. And, and, and the reality is when we don't, things often build to the point of explosion. I, I uh, recently started watching a documentary about a, a family, a powerful family in South Carolina, the low country of South Carolina. And, uh, so my wife grew up in South Carolina. I lived there for four years. So it just takes us back to our South Carolina days. It doesn't. It's this rural county. It's this family who they have 
the, the head of their family, essentially, they've had a head of their family or somebody in their family as the prosecutor for the county for a hundred years. They've built this family dynasty this through the law firm and the prosecutor's office, and just over time, nobody will confront them. And it explodes. I mean, they, there is a documentary because uh, of things go very, very badly. And it's fascinating to think, how might that have been different if 100 years ago, when there was just some, probably at the beginning, some much more minor missteps or uh, abuses or decisions made, if they had had people step in then, and it hadn't just built over time, how would things be different? This is often the case for us. Things start small, and we don't... We don't deal with the brokenness in the small ways. We don't call out sin in the small ways. And so it just builds on itself. And it gets to the point of explosion. The reality, though, is we step into these ways of interacting with one another. We can see restoration. We can see hope. But if you think about this call to reject superiority, to remain silent, even when we're right, to renounce reciprocity, to, to cover over and pay the penalty, to, to step into hard conversations. It, it's really hard. I mean, they're hard conversations, right? And, and, and there are times wisdom means that in the midst of hard conversations, when we want to restore broken relationships, we need to know, do I have the conversation now? Do I have it in a certain circumstance? Do I not have it? It takes wisdom to know in all these different circumstances with the different people and all those kinds of things. But can we be encouraged with the word and go forward and do that? No. I mean, there's a level at which we're going to fail. Again, the gospel at play, we're not going to get this fully right. We're going to be a part of the broken relationships because we're going to harbor ill will toward one another. We're going to fail to restore relationships correctly because we're selfish and we're sinful because we don't always do it correctly. And so we need this last point that there is the promise of relationships perfected and relationships perfected only come through Jesus Christ, only come through that perfect friend. We remember back last week, two weeks ago, my last sermon, John 15, when Jesus calls his disciples friends, you're no longer servants, I call you friends. And it's this picture of the disciples or the first the followers of Jesus. We are a part of this. He calls us friends. He loves us. We go back a number of sermons ago. He likes us. In all of our particularity, he cares about us. He wants to be our friend. This is why he experienced sacrifice. This is why he covered over all of our sin and brokenness, all of our ill will, all of our failures and our friendships and every relationship that we have. Jesus steps into that and he covers it over. It's the only perfect relationship. And it comes when we, don't, when we did not deserve it. Romans chapter 5. I'll just uh, start in uh, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Moving on to verse 10. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, restoration, 
through the death of Jesus. While we were enemies, we were not friends or close friends that had, had met. We, we were his enemies, and he reached out and he covered the cost. And so that gives us great hope. It covers all the mistakes that we've made in friendships and relationships and our failure to restore them correctly. And not only does it give us forgiveness in the midst of that, it does offer us strength to move forward, not perfectly, but to move forward in strength that we actually might have some hope in relationships and friendships. To, to in some situations, avoid them being broken and in some situations to move forward toward restoration when things are broken. Because that's the kind of friend that he is to us. And he offers us saving from our mistakes, but also power through his Holy Spirit to move forward with hope.